Blog Talk Radio. And welcome once again to Lords of Pain Radio's Aftershock. This time taking a look at WWE Fastlane 2019. And boy, were we on the fast lane to what appeared to be an episode of Raw. Um, it, was, it, it was not the most monumental of shows. Um, I, I guess we set some things up for WrestleMania, of course, which would, you know, that's kind of the point. Um, since it's, oh, geez, we're, we're not very far away from WrestleMania at all at this point, really. Uh, about a month-ish. Um, yeah, so some things got set up. We, you know, saw the shield for presumably, or we're being told the last time. That was really kind of the most notable thing that happened on this show. Even the scheduled WWE Championship match didn't go down as planned, but there were some teasers towards maybe some things happening at WrestleMania that could have people excited. Things did happen, but nothing that big, really. I would say, and, uh, you know, I guess that's somewhat par for the course for this time of the year, but we'll discuss all that as we go along. My name is Stephen Bell. Good to hear from you guys. It's been like a couple of months since we did this last, and and I missed you. I missed every one of you, but not as much as I missed this guy right here, my partner in crime, my co-host, my cohort, if you will. It is my friend and yours, Samuel Plan. What is going on, man? Good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good morrow. (laughs) <laughs> whatever time of day it is wherever you may be listening good it's only like 10 o'clock in the evening here so do you guys do like uh daylight savings time there yeah but we haven't uh we haven't moved yet so uh the pay-per-view started an hour earlier than normal for me oh okay well that's kind of cool that's kind of cool it it's is. like so it was yeah. another needlessly four hour long one uh well you know yeah there's that as well but you know uh, that's kind of again par for the course these days i suppose I guess, but you know, perhaps yeah. I was I was filled with um, with the misguided hope after Elimination Chamber managed to stick to the three hour mark. I know, right? God, yeah, I was as this thing was going along, and we're getting towards that fourth hour, and the Shield have still not showed up, and I'm just kind of mm. like, yeah, this one could get interesting. But <sighs> what was what was <laughs> the thing is going into the show, it could have very easily have been a three hour show. Because there yeah. wasn't there wasn't that many matches booked on the card. Well, I mean, we could have uh, had a three-hour show if they'd just cut out all the Elias segments. Well, this is the thing. This is what I was going to say. The horrifying thing was <laughs> watching it, and now I think about it. Uh, structurally, the show wasn't far off resembling uh, the kind of show that Halloween Havoc was when we did that for Retro Shock not too right. long ago. Right. Right. With We're the, just kind you know, of with random the impromptu, <laughs> yeah, impromptu matches and the baits and switches and the the in ring promo segments and everything in between. It was, it so, was, so it was horrifying in how much it reminded me of that. Basically, what you're saying is that tonight Elias was playing the part of the Nitro Girls. <laughs> 
Maybe either that, or he's playing the part of who was who was uh, Scott Steiner's lackey dude. Who it was Buff. Sort of, it was Buff, Buff Backwell, who like who, he's, who somehow he's, turned on Rick Steiner like four times in one fucking in one night. night. Whatever it was, it was ridiculous. Quite so. There you go. Elias is Elias is like WWE. He's a hybrid of the Nitro Girls and Buff Bagwell. Uh, that's a pretty stiff insult, actually. <laughs> Poor Elias, man. He's—I would say he's better than both of those. No, no offense to Shawn Michaels, but yeah, I, I think I would take Elias over the Nitro Girls or Buff Back. Well, definitely over Buff Backwell. Although like, maybe, maybe, maybe now we should be calling them Nitro Superstars in line yes. with WWE's. Yes. Marketing. They would. They would be the Nitro Superstars, and you could buy their dolls with pretty brushes, and uh, yeah. But I digress. Um, this was, I mean, I can't exactly say that I was super duper hyped coming into this show because I mean, even coming into it, it was like, really, what, what was what was there to be excited about? You know. <laughs> mm. I mean, did, was, well, coming into it, was there anything that you were just like, oh man, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, well, the Shield reunion. I mean, obviously, anybody who listens to the right side of the pond knows that we are all of us big, big, big Shield guys. Um, and you know, Roman's return to the ring after his fight with leukemia uh, was was exciting to see. I have to say that I thought not only did he look like he never missed a beat, I thought he looked better than he ever had tonight, which is which is remarkable. But we'll get into that, I'm sure, later on. Um, and you know, when I found out sort of shortly, I don't I guess it was early on in the show, um, that the Raw tag title match was actually on the main card, not on the pre-show. I actually ended up getting excited for that as well, to see what they did, and I thought that was a that was a great match as well. So there were, they, you know, I mean, the, 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 the way that they presented the Shield match as being, you know, the last time, one last ride, that kind of thing, made it feel very special. Uh, again, we'll get into that later. So I was looking forward to that. And then, you know, just a couple of little bits. I wasn't overly mega hyped as I have been for stuff in the past, other than the Shield thing. Um, but, you know, I I was certainly uh, excited enough to have been left disappointed by the show. Yeah, that was kind of my thing. I mean, I you know, full disclosure, I, I have not been keeping up with the Matt game as, uh, as, as well as in the past. I'll put it that way. Uh, I... You know, as anybody who listens to these shows fairly regularly knows, I I, I work two jobs and stuff like that. Um, and they've been I've been working a lot lately, <laughs> put it that way. Um, and just kind of trying to catch up here and there. I've been watching the shows like on Hulu and stuff like that, where they basically cut out half of Raw. Um, and I, mean, I don't I don't know that I've necessarily been missing a whole hell of a lot. I, I did get to watch the last show. We unfortunately didn't do an aftershock for that. But I mean, I did get to watch it. We just, you know, um, you know, it was kind of after the fact because you know had internet problems and stuff, and that kind of is what that is. But you know, it, it was good. I mean, I enjoyed Elimination Chamber. Um, this one coming into it, I mean, you know, the if I believed it was the last time we were going to see Shield, it maybe would have meant a little bit more. But I just can't. I, I can't shake the feeling that we're going to see a couple of Seth Rollins' friends in the main event of WrestleMania. Or well, in the championship match of WrestleMania. Yeah, but it's it's. I see what you're saying, yeah, and I and I wouldn't be shocked to see the same. And in fact, I would actively hope that. It would yes. Be. Yes. Um, I could think of no better way to close WrestleMania out than to get his ass triple powerbomb through a table. But, um, 
you know, if I, I guess the whole point of tonight was that if this is the if this if Dean Ambrose really is going to end up leaving, this was like the last this was their last structure match. Yes, yes. I mean, I, yeah, I, I can see that. The last I mean, six months. So, I mean, I haven't been really necessarily keeping up with a lot of stuff, and I know that you're not exactly a big rumor mill kind of guy, but, I mean, what is the word on Dean right now? Um, last I saw, you know, he was set on leaving, but then I saw something about how Roman was, you know, of course, back, and, and he had made some kind of offhanded comment about how, oh, we'll see about that or something. Mm-hmm. And So, I mean, is, has anything changed, or is the dude still just like, nope, bye? It's it's conflicting, you know. It's typical IWC stuff. You'll get a report that one day says he's leaving, and another one comes out and says, like you say, Roman's going to try and get him to stay, and the company are confident he'll stay, and they're going to throw everything at him, maybe a big push to make him stay. And then another one comes out, and someone else has said, no, he's definitely, absolutely, totally leaving. And then there's people saying it's a work, and there's people saying it's a shoot, and everything in between. So the truth is, actually... You know, when you boil it all down in typical IWC fashion, what it amounts to is no one really knows anything, right? Uh, and and we'll have to see. It's it was interesting to me on the show tonight how heavily and how explicitly Openly. they kept yes. mentioning the fact that Dean Dean's future wasn't. It was interesting because it started off as as Dean's not re-signing with WWE, and it ended as Dean's uh, future is uncertain. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that things anything changed during the course of the match, but it was it was curious that they would so explicitly, um, you know, keep re- keep referencing that. And whether that was just to try and drive home like the emotional angle of this is the last time you'll see the Shield in a match or not, I don't know. It could just be something as simple as that. There could be more to it. In a weird way, it's starting to resemble not too dissimilar a situation to what we had with the uh, Punk in the summer of 2011, though obviously not to the same you know degree by any means, but. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, I've, it's well, I've kind of I've kind of thought that ever since the news broke that it's it it felt a little too familiar in that regard, and I've kind of been waiting for another shoe to drop. Um, I, and I guess if any other shoe looks like it's kind of heading down towards us, uh, it would be when we get some sort of idea as to what Dean Ambrose is doing at WrestleMania. Um, oh. Because I I if I am not mistaken, his contract is not up until at the end of April. Um, so no, no. unless I'm wrong, but um, so that would you would surely think that he's going to do something at WrestleMania. Uh, who knows what the hell that is? But I think that finding out what that may be could indicate in some way, shape, form, or fashion what we can expect. Um, I, th- I mean, I think a, big, I that's think, a great big maybe, though. No, yeah, sure. I think whatever a match with Roman in some, whether that's against Roman or tagging with Roman would be the perfect uh, place for Dean to slot in, because obviously Roman's not in the main event this year, so he's going to need a big uh, match on the card to sort of, uh, you know, to occupy him. And well, I mean, it seems a, pretty a, a obvious with, that it seems like they'd be heading towards McIntyre and maybe Lashley or something. Probably, yeah. I mean, but what I was going to say is that a match either tagging with or against Roman in the event that Dean's leaving is respectful to Dean's accomplishments in the company and his stature as one of its biggest stars the last few years, while at the same time, you know, not leaning too heavily on him in case he does end up leaving and you're just building his star power up for him to go elsewhere. And if he stays again, it's perfect because it just continues this arc that they've, that they've revisited since Roman came back. So either way, I think it's a win-win to do something with Dean and Roman. I'd like to say a tag against like McIntyre and Lashley perhaps, or, or even, I mean, if he stays, I'd love to see Roman and Dean against the Revival for the Raw right. tag titles would be would be awesome to see. You know, he, there's various options, isn't there? 
I mean, that seems, you know, sticking in with Roman and having them do something together seems almost like it would be kind of a, a show of, of goodwill. Um, yes. Because, it, it you know, they obviously have hopes that he would come back at some point. I mean, I, oh, I had seen... Absolutely. I had seen, you know, very again, various reports, you know, who knows how reliable they are, but saying that he's not intending to wrestle anywhere else. He, it seems that he's just kind of done with the wrestling business for the moment and kind of wants to go take a break. Uh, now, what that means, I don't know. But it, it seems the way they, they talked about it tonight and the way that all this was put together, I mean, as you mentioned, they, they did very explicitly say, you know, his contract's coming up. They're not making any secret about it. They're not, they're not bearing the lead or anything like that. That would seem to indicate to me that it doesn't look like he's headed to go work with Cody and those guys or any, you know, or anything of that sort. Um, or, or at least WWE is inclined to believe that at the very least is, is kind of the indication that I'm getting. I think ultimately what this boils down to, because the minute WWE released that, press statement about him leaving which is quite unprecedented really yes very um that's what got a lot of fans talking about oh it's you know they're just working us because why would they do that i think for me you know i believe he's on his way out um, yeah and i can believe he's on his way out because he strikes me as somebody who's very creative and is going to be stifled in that environment that wwe has um but i also think that the story of ambrose's career has been that it's not WWE who have repeatedly undervalued him as much as it is the wrestling fans, speaking in very general terms. You know, the number of conversations I've had with people who talk down Dean's status in the company, talk down Dean's accomplishments in the company, who see him as a distant third to second and Roman, when in actual fact he's, he's not a distant third. Oh, he might be third, but he's not a distant third by any means. And I th- and I've, but Ambrose's style in the ring and his style as a performer is so out of fashion at the minute because it's slower and it's more cerebral and it's more old school than a lot of everything else that you're seeing. Uh, I think that's seen him fall out of favor somewhat in the affection of, of a lot of wrestling fans. And so I think that the press release that a lot of people saw as an indication of his work to me is just an indication of the value the company puts in him as, as one of its top tier performers, because I think they'd absolutely recognize him as one of the most important performers in the company of the last how long have they been around now? Seven years. Yeah, um, seven years. So because well, he, you know, he absolutely has been. He's been. He's he's been. Oh, absolutely. The the backbone of that company for a very long time, and it's you know, it's it. it I just tweeted it while I was waiting for us to go on air. Actually, that it's only having watched emotive match they've just done tonight, that it's really hit me suddenly quite hard that he might not be around in five weeks' time, and that's a pretty shitty feeling to be, to be experiencing in honesty because of how central he's been to. To the entire product, right? And I mean, this is Dean Ambrose we're talking about here. He is, you know, inherently somewhat unpredictable, both in his character and in his, you know, a, a, by all indications that I've ever seen, his real life. Uh, he kind of he marches to the beat of his own drummer. So there's a really there, there's a very real possibility that you know, after the next few weeks, we might just not ever see him again. Mm. Which well, I is, think, I mean, you know. I think it's it's also important to say though that I have every confidence if he does leave that he'll be back one day. Yes, I, I like tend a, to. It's, yeah, it's not like a Montreal or or Montreal situation here, or like a CM Punk situation here. I, I get the impression that it's that it would be an amicable split in generally speaking. Well, uh, and they, like like we both kind of mentioned before, it seems that they are going out of their way to make it amicable as well. It's it seems yes. like they're very much trying to kind of 
roll out the red carpet, I suppose, in reverse, <laughs> you know, like mm. you're welcome back anytime. And, you know, there's no ill will. We're not going to take pot shots. We're not going to bury you, any of that stuff. I mean, you're not getting the traditional, this guy's getting the sweet bejesus kicked out of him thing that you usually see when a situation like this pops up. He's just kind of, you know, he's in, I mean, he's in a featured role, you know, at least for this pay-per-view. Now, again, where he is placed on the WrestleMania card, I think is going to be interesting to observe. And I mean, I would be inclined to think that I think the smartest place for him would be doing something with Roman. Um, just because, I mean, it's, it's not like Roman has anything else going on either, you know, and, and they're both kind of tied up with, I could even see those two in a, almost like a, a handicap match, you know, against the three guys that they face tonight. Uh, or I, I mean, there's, there's any number of combinations that they could do with it, but, uh, it, I think that's going to say a lot, you know. Um, I, I just don't see them burying him on the way out. As, as they won't. They won't do. I mean, it's it's. It, Dean's been taking a lot of losses on TV, but you know, if he, if he's leaving, he's going to have to. That's the rule of the game, right? Like, if you're on your right. way out, you put the other people over. But there's a difference between that and being quote unquote buried. I think wrestling fans throw that term around a Absolutely. lot without giving it the the weight that it warrants. Um, and so, yeah, you'd expect Dean to be doing jobs on his way out of the door. But at the same time, like you but say, not generally speaking, I mean, ultimately, he just got a huge victory in a pay-per-view main event Absolutely. like 15 minutes ago. So they're obviously not intending on, on doing a hatchet job on him on his way out, nor should they, you know, and nor would they. Like I say, they're, they're, they've always, if anything, and I don't say this to be uh, abrasive or, or uh, provocative, but I've always felt over the, well, I say always, over the last year or so, I've come to feel like, uh, the company, if anything, put more value in Dean than the fans seem to. Right. Yes, I, I would actually agree with that uh, because Dean is valuable. Um, you know, it, it's it's easy to forget that you know for the first long stretch there of the Shield's existence, if you were gonna say that there was a leader, it was Dean Ambrose. Like you know, he was the guy. It wasn't Roman. Roman became the centerpiece. You know, a, a good while after they showed up, it was Dean Ambrose was kind of the focal point of the of the Shield. And he was the first one that everybody picked to, that was going to be the breakout star. Like, everybody knew that Dean Ambrose was going to be the huge breakout star of the Shield. And, of course, everybody knew the company was behind Roman. Seth was almost the afterthought there for the longest time, you know. Um, and then it just didn't really kind of work out that way. But it's not like Dean was ever left behind. You know, this perception of him being, as you said, like the distant third is is not only mistaken, it's it's – some I don't know. It borders on uneducated, you know. It um, does. Yeah, well, well, I think, like I said, a lot of it comes down to how unfashionable his his ring style is. It's it's. I mean, I've always he sticks out like a sore thumb in today's yeah, environment. You know, I've, I've he, always I've I've always compared him to Brett. You know, and I mean, you know how how huge a Brett Hart guy I am, uh, and have been all my life. So that's you know, I mean, that's the ultimate sort of compliment coming from me, really. But I think he's he's as accomplished a storyteller in the ring as Brett is, and, or was, uh, and, but because it's a, it's a slower style and because it's more cerebral and because he doesn't do the kind of the fashionable stuff with the, you know, the, the 15 minutes of false finish and the constantly sort of hysterical action that just gets escalates more and more and more and more and more until people are just absolutely losing their minds. You know, Dean's an Dean's a performer who wants who gets crowds to emote rather than to react, and I, and that's just not the in thing these days, uh, and I think that plays a large part among you know many other different factors as well. 
I think a lot of fans are unable to get past the fact he's not just doing John Moxley because I know John Moxley had a huge you know following on the indie circuit and stuff. But I mean, the other thing worth that people forget as well is that Dean was going to be on the main roster before either either of the other two were. They were going to bring him up around WrestleMania 28, and he did that. He sort of teased a program with Mick Foley, uh, and he was touring with the main roster and stuff. And and for whatever reason, that never happened. So they obviously saw something in him in him before they ever saw anything in, in Roman and Seth. Um, so it's you know it's it, a huge loss to the company if he does leave, and I hope that whatever happens in the next four or five weeks to uh, convince and stick around and stay. Especially because beyond anything else, you know, the the company, if Fastlane demonstrated tonight how much the company needs change. Uh, and, of course, the last time the company changed wholesale pretty much was when the Shield came in and were able to influence change backstage through, you know, they tell these stories themselves by sticking together as a unit backstage as much as they were on screen. And so their best chance of doing it again is for Dean to stay and for them to affect that change together. Well, I mean, change was kind of in the air this evening. I mean, change has been in the air here over the last little while, ever since, you know, the McMahons showed up and they made their announcement and this and that and blah, 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 all the stuff that's been going on there. Um, and, I mean, there were some kind of changes floating around. I mean, Mustafa Ali was in a world championship match on pay-per-view mm-hmm. this evening. I mean, that that in and of itself is something worth noting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, you know, we we're staring down the barrel of, of – I mean, it certainly looks like we could see Kofi Kingston wrestling for the world championship at WrestleMania this year. Like, is that going to be the case? Who knows? But, I mean, it indications are pointing in that direction at the very least. Um, I, I just, there's a there's a lot of things kind of shifting and shuffling around at the moment, and it's going to be interesting over the next, I would say, probably the rest of the calendar year to kind of see see where everything shuffles and falls and 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 winds up. Um, but we, we we did have an interesting show this evening. I mean, there were a few things to look forward to. It's not like the entire show sucked or anything like that. It's just that the overall vibe of the show and in terms of eventful things happening. Like I said at the at the top of this program, it really just kind of felt like a glorified episode of Raw to me. Um, it was just – if you missed tonight, you didn't really miss anything of note aside from, of course, you know, the sentimental aspect of seeing The Shield and potentially their last match together and, you know, things of that nature. But, I mean, it's not even like it was a remarkably amazing Shield match, you know, even oh, by well, – by, well, by their previous standards, I mean, and and that's not their fault. I, I just, we'll talk. It was about well. I tell you, I tell you. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Let's save that discussion for when we get to the match at, yes. the, at yes. the end of the show. Yes. But what we are going to do is uh, we'll start at the beginning and we'll talk our way all the way through. Some of this stuff is just going to be brushed over, frankly, because <laughs> it's because some of it just doesn't matter, uh, you know, in the longer scheme of things. But before we do any of that, we are going to take a quick break, pay a few bills here, uh, and then we'll come right back at you and we'll break down the pay-per-view properly and uh, end it all off with, I'm guessing, a, a talk about the shield. Uh, so we'll be right back at you after this right here. Okay. It, 
it was it was I, I saw the button. I, I at least it wasn't the Undertaker gong again. Is the Undertaker gong even still here? Like somebody made nope, it's still there. So I, I didn't know somebody like I liked the, I liked the I liked the idea of that replacing the Undertaker's gong in his entrance. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> Just a really crappy little drum roll like four times as lightning strikes and all flat, the smoke is rolling out. And then here comes the dead man. Yeah. Yeah, that's that would be interesting, I suppose. Um, <sighs> yes, we are here to talk about Fastlane here on Aftershock. It's the first time we've gotten together to do this since the uh, the Rumble Royale, if you will. Um, and that's what they call it in Europe. It is. That's what they call it in France because they don't have the metric system. Um, and yeah, it's it's been it's been interesting. Uh, over the last couple of months, seeing things develop, uh, as we mentioned a moment ago, there's been some change in the air uh, in terms of just the way things are kind of being operated, and it, it's there's at least the the illusion, if nothing else, that maybe the fans are having a little bit more say in stuff, and uh, it seems like they are reacting a little more to crowd reaction than in previous years. Um, there, there's a lot of kind of change in the air, and, and it's not just in WWE. Uh, we were going to talk about this last time, but then we had issues with the program and it didn't go on. But there's change in the air here on LOP Radio as well, and specifically here on Aftershock. Um, we've got this show, of course, with Fastlane. We're going to be doing WrestleMania here in just a few short weeks. It'll be here before we know it, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. But after that, well, uh, things are going to change just a little bit. And uh, did you want to go ahead and tell the folks why? Uh, well, I announced it on the SEID yes. a few weeks back. Uh, but uh, Steve is referring to the fact that WrestleMania will be my last aftershock for the foreseeable future, at least. I'm doing a Dean Ambrose, I guess, uh, which is to say I won't be back on aftershock one day. But, you know, this year has started off with uh, certain things happening in my really real life, so priorities shift, uh, and you sort of need to adapt to make sure that you're meeting the priorities that you feel like you ought to meet in life. Uh, and while doing aftershock is an absolute joy every month, uh, it's not necessarily conducive with the things that I have to prioritize for the next year or so. So I thought, you know, my first show was what was it, Elimination Chamber last year, I think. Right. Um, so I figured, you know, WrestleMania, Seth's wrestling for the Universe title. Fingers crossed he's going to win it. It's kind of been a year of aftershock. It was a nice time to to sort of draw a line in the sand, at least for the for the time being. I'll still be doing, you know, RetroShock whenever we get around to do one of those again, because I love doing RetroShock as well. And I'll still be doing SEID in the pond and posting columns. So I'm not going anywhere. It's just, unfortunately, I can't continue to maintain my aftershock commitment unless I sacrifice other stuff that, Frankly, I can't or slash don't want to have to sacrifice. So uh, just a readjustment of some priorities in my own life uh, means that, again, just for the foreseeable future, uh, one day I hope to come back. But WrestleMania in the meantime will be my last aftershock. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's going to suck to see you go, of course, uh, you know, um, to say the very least. Um, I mean, I, I, I haven't – I've had, like – two months to get ready to talk about this. <laughs> and like, and I, I'm no closer to knowing exactly what to say as uh, when you messaged me and, and told me about your plans. I, I'm, I'm just, I, I guess my approach to it is let's make these last couple of shows as awesome as we can and just have some fun and, and, and do what we do. Um, 
I, I, you don't want to make it flowery and sentimental, and you don't want to, you know, try harder or something like that. Because if you're having to try harder, well, then what the hell are you doing in the first place? Uh, you should be trying hard, and you know, to begin with. Um, so and so my secret is revealed. <laughs> yeah, you. That's the secret. You weren't trying at all, uh, and that was the problem. Uh, you know, I, I tried to I tried to make it sound like you were getting to walk away, but the reality of the situation is that. Uh, <laughs> Plan plan has been fired. Uh, <laughs> we, we we fired Sam. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, we we've got another Sam in the in the wings. You know, I mean, he, he's been on a show before with us as well. You know, I, I kind of liked what I heard there, so we're going to sub out a British accent for an Australian accent. You know, I mean, my 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 Steve Irwin love knows no bounds. Um, but no, that's that's not an announcement or anything. The reality yeah. is is that like uh you know um. I mean, unless something unusual happens, which I don't really foresee happening given my schedule and just kind of I – mean, you guys probably know. I've been something of a ghost on social media here lately, and it hasn't been by – you know, it's not like by design or anything like that. It's just kind of the way things have worked out, frankly. Um, and there's been some other extenuating circumstances here and there. You know, like I, I somehow managed to lock myself out of my Twitter for like <laughs> for weeks. <laughs> and and I, I, anyways – um, I tw- well, I mean, if it helps on that front, we once had to delay the recording, and this is a true story. We once had to de- temporarily delay the recording of an episode of The Right Side of the Pond because Mazza managed to lock himself out of his own house. Right, right. You know, that's that's the way that that goes sometimes, you know. Uh, it, this is a very interesting little beast here, this LOP radio game. Uh, I, I believe it was the second episode of The Late Shift. Uh, you know, oh, The Late Shift. Well, oh, it just made my heart hurt a little bit. Uh, I believe it was the second ever episode that I did where uh, Zanman was my guest. And, like, it just so happened to coincide with him having to get up to go to work. So you literally, like, hear him. He's on his phone. You hear him getting dressed and, like, getting in his car and closing the door. <laughs> it was Ridiculous. It was frankly ridiculous, <laughs> but oh, you know, stuff. yeah. I mean, that's kind of the way it goes. But I mean, barring some sort of unforeseen, you know, surprise here or there or something, you no, know, maybe I'll give a shout out to Candace or something, and she come back, come back once or twice. And Repo's still floating around out there somewhere in the ether. There, there's other folks floating around out there who I've done the show with in the past, but I, I'm certainly not looking for a a permanent replacement because, frankly, I expect. Uh, my pal plan here to be back in the driver's seat uh, eventually. And, you know, I mean, very much like the shield, even if Ambrose is gone, it's not like you replace him. Um, there's, oh, thank you. There, well, there is no replacing. Um, I think we've developed a pretty good dynamic over the course of the last year. And uh, I've, I've very much enjoyed it. Um, and, yeah, there's not going to be any replacing or anything. So what you guys get to have is what we had before plan came into the equation is you're probably just going to get to listen to me sitting here and talking about pay-per-views every month. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. I leave that up to you guys to decide. Uh, you're not hearing a whole hell of a lot from me here lately, so I guess you can indulge me once a month if I sit here and talk for an hour and a half, two hours about a pay-per-view. It, it could be worse. It could be worse. I could be following it up with two more nights in a row like I used to. So, uh, yeah, Um but you're certainly going to be missed, sir, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to doing WrestleMania with you because I know that you're going to be hyped for it because, I mean, uh, I mean, I know we said this last year, but, man, it certainly seems like Brock's number's up. And uh, and if it is this year, well, then that's really good news for you. <laughs> so, Well, this is it. I mean, that's uh, that was a, a large reason. I've kind of taken a bit of a gamble in a way because 
that was a large reason why I decided to keep doing it because I, I you know there was such is life at the minute that I thought I might not be able to even go past Royal Rumble um, but but I thought well you know Seth and I sort of said to myself if Seth wins the Rumble and he gets that WrestleMania title shot I will make it work for me to hang on till WrestleMania do an aftershock because like so it's kind of a gamble because obviously if he doesn't win then I aftershock on a on a I'm, well, I might be doing the show by myself starting at WrestleMania. Uh, <laughs> because you might be out screaming into the night. <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely. But if he but I figured, you know, if he wins, like that's just the perfect end for me. Yeah, that's you know yeah. It that's a nice little bow on top of the package, at least for the time being. You know, that's that's a good place to put the bookmark, let's put it that way. Um and Well I I've actually I I put the bookmark on my wrist. I got his logo tattooed on my wrist. With the date 2019 after he won the Rumble, because I was like, I'm all in, man. There you go. There you go. I guess it. it yeah. There. There you go. <laughs> I've. I do not have an Undertaker logo anywhere on my body, uh, <laughs> though I have seriously considered it from time to time. That's probably going to happen eventually, somewhere down the line. Once I have money to throw at a tattoo, uh, quite. Yeah. Which, oh God, is is easier said than I've been. Man, I've been itching for a tattoo here lately, and it, it doesn't like. I've got a girlfriend covered in tattoos also. So it's like, we're both just like tattoo, tattoo. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, yeah, it just hasn't lined up. That's what happens when you, you know, I need to buy a washer and dryer, you know, <laughs> <laughs> being an adult sucks, man. Absolutely. <laughs> I used Absolutely. to just be able to like go to my mom's house and do the washer and dryer. Like I'm not still doing that right now, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I could throw money at tattoos and, and whiskey and, all those fun things, but now uh, adulting shows up. <sighs> but you know, uh, speaking—I don't know how to transition. I was—I was, I was going to say speaking of something. <laughs> Thank you. Speaking of washing your clothes, Kofi Kingston washes his. I bet. He—he um, he, man, I bet Kofi Kingston does some laundry. Uh, now, you know, actually, I bet Big E has to do mad laundry. That looks like a sweaty dude. Um, I'd rather not think about it. I'd really rather not either. But uh, that leads us to Xavier Woods and Big E of the New Day taking on Rusev and Shinsuke Nakamura. And seamless. seamless. Uh, I, I thought it was seamless. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> call me crazy. It's a, it's a new day to – it's a new laundry day. Boom. Boom. I Just drop the laundry. It's it's beautiful. I'm I'm so proud of myself right now. So proud of myself. Uh, but before that match took place, actually, uh, somebody walked up to Kofi and was like, "Hey, the McMahons want to see you, uh, and it's about the title match tonight." So everybody was just kind of like, "Err." And, and so you know, Kofi- I, do you know what I loved about that segment as well is that the guy, the actor that they had playing the guy in the suit, was clearly like, "This is my this is my moment to make it." Big. Yes. He put his, <laughs> he put his all into those lines, didn't he? <laughs> he was hamming it up big time, man. <laughs> That was one of the that was one of the most prolific extra uh, acting sequences we've seen in quite some time. Uh, wolf. Um, but yeah, we had Rusev and Nakamura taking on Xavier Woods and Big E, and it was a pretty fun little match for what it was. I mean, really, nothing terribly eventful went down over the course of it. But I mean, it was definitely pretty fun, and you know, you've got a hell of a lot of talent in the ring there. Uh, we all wind up with uh, Big E tagging in, scooping up Rusev, and they hit the big up, up, down, down, and get the victory here. So the New Day are the winners, and everybody's talking about Kofi. I mean, that's almost the thing. They almost kind of buried the lead on that. It's like, hey, we're going to go out and have a great match, but everybody's talking about Kofi, who's not here. So that kind of was what that was. But um, this this dynamic between Nakamura and Rusev, like um, 
You know, if WWE were really kind of listening to what the fans had to say, wouldn't both of these guys be more in the main event picture than wrestling the New Day on the pre-show? Absolutely, they would. I mean, I referred to them as lost opportunities on on absolutely um, because that's you know that's exactly what they are. I mean, I quite, you know I quite like the dynamic they've got going. Oh yeah, as a, I do too. As a duo, uh, but th- there's no doubt that I mean, when you consider that this time last year Nakamura was headed straight to the WWE Championship match at WrestleMania. You begin to realize, you know, just how much yet again they they drop the ball with somebody, um, and then when you consider that, you know, four years ago Rusev was was defending the the U.S. title against John Cena, uh, again, you know how how the mighty fall, and the match itself reminded me a bit. I I refer to it all the time now, it seems, but that tag match we watched when we did Retro Shock on like Backlash or whatever show it was. Um, yeah too cool against somebody and and you know in the in the sense that it you know there was no story there but it, it heated up nicely and it was just a fun energetic little little tag match i mean i thought the overriding theme of fast lane was that it had the seed of a fantastic pay-per-view that just got drowned out by all of the fat that they refused to trim um right. and this is you know this i thought that pre-show match was better than either of the two that actually started the main pay-per-view I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, and, you know, speaking of that, we may as well move on to the main show. Yeah. We opened things up with the SmackDown Tag Team titles. It was The Miz and Shane McMahon, which I'm still struggling to give a shit about, uh, versus yeah. The Usos. Um, we didn't really get to talk about this last time because we didn't do a show last month. But this whole Miz and Shane McMahon thing, uh, like I said, I'm just struggling to give a shit about it. And the writing was so blatantly on the wall as to what was mm-hmm. eventually going to happen mm-hmm. that it was, I mean, it was almost a... It was very anticlimactic, I'll put it that way. Um, You knew one of them was going to turn on the other. Conventional wisdom tells you it was going to be The Miz turning on Shane, so that means, oh, WWE's got to flip it on its seat. Exactly, Um, yeah. So uh, by trying to be unpredictable, it became somehow predictable. predictable. Yeah. I've I've seen this coming the whole time, personally. Yeah. Well, that's because it's a WWE speciality, isn't it? this. They have this innate ability to do the <laughs> and it gets tricky to express this when you mix all the definitions up but what would be considered the obvious thing is not what they do when it's the right thing to do and what would be considered to be like stupid or asinine the unexpected thing is not done when you know they do that when it's least when it's when it's least appropriate and they do right. the obvious thing when <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> They do the the obvious thing that's least appropriate as well. So they they just always seem to misjudge these situations, and this is another one of those those times. I mean, uh, you right. know, right. Which is, well, which is it's, it's, it's a roundabout it's a roundabout way of saying that that the Miz should have turned on Shane, even though it would have been in you know the norm. Yes. Just because Shane turning on the Miz makes even less sense than them teaming together in the fucking first place. Mm-hmm. I exactly. mean, exactly. It was, exactly. it was it was very Vince Russo. It's swerve for swerve's sake, and I, eh. Yeah, it's it's where it's where this idea that wrestling booking and writing are two different things actually shoots them in the foot a little bit because, you know, you think and and I, we were talking about this on the pod not long back. It was so out of character in the first place for the Miz to want to team up with the person who took his spot in the best in the world tournament. Like, that's not what the Miz would do. No. You know, the Miz, the Miz would be pissed off at someone taking the spotlight from him, least of all someone who's not a wrestler. Um, and then it just, it, from there, it just got worse and worse. 
the the idea of a babyface Miz is obviously going to be is a, you know that's an obvious disaster from day one because it's never worked really in the past. It's where his career went off the rails in the first place. Uh, so I, mean, I could uh, to, well, to be fair, I could see that actually working at this given point in time, just because maybe, the, yeah. the respect for the Miz has mm. grown exponentially since the last time he tried to do it. True. I just I really don't think that this is the situation to do it in though. No, and the the most frustrating thing of all is that this. Uh, point to the issue they've got still with part-times and whatnot because you know that they're, they're basically crowbarring Shane McMahon into Wrestlemania at this point right um, and it's like you 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 see the storyline play out and you think if you replaced Shane which you could do because there's no compelling need for this to be it doesn't have to be Shane in this spot in this story there's no narrative demand for that you could replace him with any given full-time character on the main roster and it would probably be better for it because it would lead to, you know, a match, a featured mid-card match between Miz and another full-time performer. So that's another issue with it as well. I mean, well, it's I mean, worth if, saying if you, I thought... If you on. desperately wanted to flip things on their head and have the Miz be a babyface going towards WrestleMania, isn't the obvious choice to put him in there against heel Daniel Bryan? Possibly, yeah. Quite, I mean, yeah. That, that would be a really fun dynamic to play around with. Yeah. But uh, but uh, but either way, I mean, like you say, pretty much anybody is better than Shane McMahon at this point. I, w- I would have taken just about anybody over Shane. And it's you know so it's out of character for the Miz. It's also out of character for Shane to do what he did tonight. That's oh, not absolutely. in line with in keeping with the character he's developed over recent years. That's just poor writing. I mean, it's worth saying that in terms of fast lane, I thought the match itself overachieved in in a surprising way, which was nice to see. Oh yeah, um, I mean, it's not like the match was terrible or anything, and I I've enjoyed the matches that they've had prior. Even you know they they work well together for what it's worth, and it's not like I don't want to give the impression that I think Shane sucks or anything like that. Shane's a competent performer. He just is like you he's said, not a wrestler. Well, he's being shoehorned into all of this stuff. Like it's not yeah. even that I don't think he's not a wrestler. I mean it's. It's I, I respect the guy's ability. Okay, is he a regular performer? Far from it. But I, I at least respect what he can do. That that being said, he just there's no reason to just shove him in there because Shane McMahon's got to be a part of something at WrestleMania, you know. And if you if you just flat out have to do that, why this? You know why why damage the Miz's character? Because this has been an ill fit from the beginning, just from the jump, and it it just doesn't make any damn sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, I agree wholeheartedly. And and like I say, you know, and we've discussed this on the pond again. The the it's. I always remember the story that CM Punk told, uh, and appreciating there's two sides to every story, so you have got to sort of take it with a little bit of pinch of salt. But he talked about how when he was told he was going to be wrestling Triple H at WrestleMania 13, it was a big honor to be wrestling Triple H. He said to the company, "I don't need to wrestle Triple H. Triple H needs to wrestle me," and that stuck with me because increasingly so year upon year it's become more and more the case that instead of the part-timers wrestling the full-timers to give the full-timers a rub, it's like it's gone the other way around. The full-timers now have to wrestle the part-timers for the part-timers to feel relevant. And the case in point is, you know, this Batista Triple H thing, which has absolutely no relevancy on anything happening whatsoever and will continue to have no relevancy whatsoever after WrestleMania is done. Uh, and it's like they're having to they're having to crowbar these these characters into the show at this point and writing themselves in circles to do it. And this one just was yeah the uh, the match that there was nothing wrong with the match. 
I, it was I don't. I don't think it was fine. I mean, th- there was nothing wrong with the match. The Usos are, of course, the Usos. I mean, it's not like you're going to trot them out there and have a bad match with virtually anyone at this point. The Miz is the Miz. He's a well more than competent performer, and Shane is, at the very least, competent. So, I mean, it's you know, it's not like it was bad by any stretch of the imagination. It just there was no real heat to it. It it seemed like we were just waiting for the turn. This entire match was nothing but us sitting around and waiting for the turn and trying to figure out, okay, are they going to go the obvious route or are they going to go the obvious route that's not obvious, you know? And they wound up doing the latter of those two the, because after yeah. the match, um, we wind up with uh, the Usos getting the victory. And afterwards, Shane, uh, you know, they go over and they're all talking to, to Mrs. Dad and whatnot. And oddly enough, you know, even despite the fact that now, like, oddly, the storyline is stupid, uh, first and foremost. Uh, as we said, it, it's really dumb. Uh, like, the Miz's dad has never been proud of him, despite the fact that he main evented a WrestleMania against John Cena. You know, the Miz's dad, Shane McMahon. Okay. That's a thing, I suppose. Is anyone's favorite wrestler Shane McMahon? Really? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, mean, I, I, I got love. I, I got. I don't even know about that, man. Like, I, I got love for Shane O'Mac, you know, to a degree, but really, whose favorite wrestler? That's, was Shane that's, that's true, actually, because I think Vince's favorite wrestler is actually Triple H. Yeah, well, I, or Roman Reigns mm. or Steve Austin or yeah, John Cena, greatest of all time, John, John Cena, Cena. greatest of all time, John Cena. Um, you know, there's a, there's a number of people that I think rank above Shane in, in, on Vince's personal list, but that's a whole other topic, I suppose. They should be kind of reversing the storyline to some degree. Uh, but it, that's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. But but then like we get to this point where like okay, now the Miz is teaming with Shane, and so the Miz's dad likes him now after all these years, after like a decade as wrestler and all the accomplishments that he's made. He got him on a reality show and all this shit. He married Maurice, which is like, damn. Uh, it's like. Really, that that's what it takes to get your dad to finally love you is that you're taxed with Shane McMahon, and then yeah, he has the it's... audacity to he has the audacity to show up wearing a Shane jersey. Like he can't even be arsed to wear a, a Miz shirt in his hometown. No, he had to show up in the Shane jersey. <laughs> it's like Jesus, drive it home a little further, guys. Could you be any more ham fisted with this shit? <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it's another instance of them deciding that a character. So a character ends one storyline, goes into another storyline, uh, and it's a totally different version of the character for this storyline. And then it'll be a totally right. different version of the Miz again in the next storyline, so on and so on, with no overarching continuity. Because ultimately, the Miz for the last, you know, since, well, God, 2014, 2013, he's been the A-lister. His whole thing has been that he's mega successful, he's in movies, he's on, you know, do, does red carpets, does media interviews, he's got sponsorship deals. He's got the moneymaker. He's got his own reality TV show. He's got a beautiful wife, two beautiful children. You know, it's Jericho of all time. You know, he's mega successful. So that automatically creates uh, a disconnect with this version of the character they're presenting that's, like you say, never had the pride of his father, of a father who we have actively seen attend WWE events to support them as in the past, by the way, you know, because they, they don't have any overarching continuity. Uh, and that's, that's emblematic of, the habit for the entire show. I tweeted out during Fastlane, 
after that that bizarre segment where Orton, RKO, was Elias, and AJ Styles somehow managed to predict the future, and knew RKO uh, knew that Orton was going to be in the ring at that point, so he could ambush Orton all the while Lacey Evans is walking up and down the ramp, made no sense whatsoever. And I tweeted out this, you know, WWE really needed what most shows have, which is a series bible that lists the, the you know, the inherent mythology of this this universe that they operate in, and all the rules and the do's and don'ts. From a from you know, in-universe perspective. It really makes one wonder how someone like Bruce Pritchard is going to fit into the creative process now. Because yeah. that's a guy who, like, he, he's very much used to having the creative Bible. Like, you know, he's from the day when him and Vince and Pat Patterson would sit around a table and and book the territory for the next six months to a year, you know? And everything was kind of etched in stone, and this is how we get to here, how we get to here, how we get to here. Seeing how he's going to fit in, thrown into what seems to be mildly organized chaos, if you could even maybe remove the organized from that, you know, when you consider the the segment that you just talked about where just random people seem to be wandering about doing shit, um, I, I, that's going to be interesting to see how he plays into that and if he's going to have any impact on maybe the way things move forward because definitely things – structure. I, I feel a very big lack of structure right now uh, with shit that just don't make any sense. One of my favorite things that I always said on the late shift was that I, I would, in a heartbeat, if WWE wanted to call me up and have me be the logic guy that sits at the end of the table, like I won't input anything creatively, that's not my job. I'll just sit there and when you guys figure out exactly what you're going to do, the last thing you do before you commit to it, throw it to me and I'll tell you whether or not it makes any fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> well, well, and, uh, well, about that, half that, the things on tonight's show would have been axed. Well, that's the thing, though, isn't it? Is that a lot of TV shows or movies will have a continuity editor who who will yes. specifically watch out for the stuff that does that that, it, that contradicts or conflicts other information or other scenes or even down to the way that scenes are shot. You know, to make sure that that contradictions don't occur within the the course of a film or a TV show. And that's what I'm talking about is having. You know, I mean, like the role that Kevin Feige plays in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the right. overall godfather of the entire thing, maintain that continuity. They've got someone in the Star Wars franchise who does the same thing. You know, you need it's about world building, and I talked about this on the pond again recently. You know, if you're sitting down, one of the things I want to achieve in life is to write my own novels, and one of the things that you've got to do is, is particularly with the with the genre like fantasy, sit down and do the world building where you create a set of internal logical rules that everything has to follow in order for it to be a satisfying narrative. And that just doesn't apply to one genre of writing, it applies to all genres of writing. Even if it's, you know, based the story based on your own street, you still do a bit of world building to make sure you know who people are, how they act, why the rules are what they are. WWE desperately need to do that. Because one of the major issues with their product overall is the fact that there is no ongoing constant, there is no maintaining of any kind of logic. You know, even down to stuff that we don't like, like authority figures, it's never been clearly defined what a general manager actually does. And you don't even have to present that to the fans on the show, so long as you know, so that when you're writing the show, because fans won't be aware that this logic exists, but because the logic exists, they don't need to be aware, and it will make the show more satisfying. Right, right, and it's things like that's this. A, that's a writing practice. Yes, that applies not a wrestling practice. And and if you had that, which is desperately needed uh, in any form of you know ongoing storytelling, entertainment, I would say you know, wrestling yeah, or ep- yeah. episodic television or whatever it may be, 
that is desperately needed. And if you had something like that in this situation, then this Miz and Shane storyline never would have gotten off the ground because exactly. it doesn't make sense for either character. It doesn't make sense in general. Um, it, it's just it's a dumb story. It's just a dumb story, and it's been obvious where it's been headed the entire time. And now we're there, and you know, it's not like I'm any more or less excited for it than I was at the beginning. When I mean, we knew where this was going. Like, there's not a single mildly educated fan out there who didn't know exactly where we were going to wind up. We knew it was going to be Miz and Shane at Mania, period. And I mean, you know, at this point, we're just kind of like, okay, whose corner is George going to be in? I suppose is the big question mark. <laughs> that that's the this hot angle that they've been building for what, like four or five months now. Uh, yeah, by the time we get to WrestleMania, the big question is going to be, ooh, whose corner is George in? It's really, really, that's it's ridiculous. It's lame. Um, but the match could have been worse. So uh, I guess kudos in that regard. But yeah. Uh, if you didn't gather, Shane turned on the Miz and beat the bejesus out of him right in front of his dad, and uh, that was a thing that happened. Uh, we then went backstage, and we had Drew McIntyre and Baron Corbin and Bobby Lashley. They were making fun of the Shield and whatnot, and really not a very smart thing to do, but they'll find that out later. Uh, we had Elias out there. He was making fun of Cleveland and talking some smack and being the Nitro Girls. Um, Nitro we did, Superstars. Yes, the Nitro Superstars. Uh, um we got. They talked about the whole Kofi Kingston thing, going to talk to the McMahon family, which we still haven't heard a word about, and are not Good going Lord, to. Was, I point. didn't realize there was this much crap between the first two yes, matches. Yes, there were there were like four segments that happened between the first Jesus. match and the second match. Uh, then there was the SmackDown Women's Championship match, which was an afterthought unto itself. Uh, we had Oscar versus Mandy Rose. And they were kind of paying some lip service on commentary to the fact that Asuka, you know, within storyline, I suppose, has been raising a stink about the fact that, hey, you know, everybody's paying so much attention to what Becky and Charlotte and Ronda are doing that they're kind of forgetting I'm a bit of a badass. And that's true. Uh, I just wish that they would have put her in a position to be a badass tonight. Instead, they put her in there with Mandy Rose, who, mm. I mean, I, th I think Mandy could be a, a you know reasonably big star one day with the right seasoning, and she's definitely got the right kind of character. And everybody's got to get their foot in the door and have their first title match on pay per view somewhere. You know, this was obviously not meant to be a showcase showcase, but I mean, really. Asuka really felt like an afterthought tonight, and that SmackDown Women's Championship is really, really feeling like an afterthought at this given point in time. And that, that really, really annoys me, because I'm me a, huge, a huge Asuka fan. I have been since, well, not since day one, but for a long time I've been a huge Asuka fan. Uh, I think I mean, she's by far the most polished female performer in the company. I think she's by far the most capable female performer in the company, uh, and the most convincing as well. And I, I mean, I would, I, frankly, at this point, I mean, they're doing the triple threat. I, I would just love the, for them to throw Asker into that thing as well so she could go and beat the living tar out of all three of them. Um, but I think my only real issue with this, like you say, Mandy Rose could be a star. She reminds me, and again, to reference the poem, we spoke about this, me, Mab and I on the go-home show before Fastlane, uh, Mandy Rose reminds me a lot of an early Trish in the sense that she's, kind of. you know, she's she's rough around the edges, but you can tell that the potential is there, like you said, with the right kind of experience to really become a special performer. But my issue with this match is, again, emblematic of a wider issue, which is that, that it's almost like in all the political correct atmosphere of the whole women's evolution, as they call it now, 
uh, and the desire to, you know, the, the, the admirable desire to portray the female performers on the same level, They've, they seem to be running scared of any notion of variety. In other words, they're trying to make every single female match a workhorse match, a worker's match, when not every single one of their female performers will be a worker, you know, in the same way that not every one of their male performers is a worker. And you need those right. character performers in there, and you need those character performers executing matches that play to their strength. And I felt this was misguided in the way it was produced because it seemed to want to be like a worker match. And it was clear that, you know, as good as she may yet become, Mandy Rose wasn't quite up to the standard needed to be in a worker's match with, with Asker. And it perhaps would have been better as a more character driven uh, thing, especially given the weird way that it ended. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, Honestly, at this point, I guess my biggest bitch with with the entire way that the division is being run on 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 both shows, just the entirety of the women's evolution right now. It 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 seems that yes, we we have this big emphasis on uh, as mentioned Becky and Charlotte and Ronda, and it it's certainly looking like it looks like that's going to main event WrestleMania. Like that's that's going to be like the last thing that happens at WrestleMania this year. There's a very good possibility, and you know what? Great. I'm I'm really happy about that. I think that's awesome. But does it really have to come at the expense of the other championship? You know, can't the other championship have just as notable or badass a match? Uh, at this point, we don't even have any indication as to what Oscar could be doing at WrestleMania because there's they haven't built anybody else up, uh, and I guess well, that's part of the problem is that. They took SmackDown's two biggest, you know, female stars and just kind of now they're over there on Raw messing around with Ronda and just completely ignoring everything else. And Asuka is left, like, wrestling Mandy Rose. Asuka, who, by the way, tapped out Becky Lynch at Royal Rumble, which they've yes. totally not mentioned at all ever since Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, like, honestly, why can't we have two big matches? You know, yeah, I mean, is, is, am, I expect, am I expecting the Oscar match to be on par with the other one? Well, no, of course not. But why can't it be a badass match? The rumor, the rumor mill at the minute is saying that they're building Lacey Evans to wrestle Oscar, which is ridiculous and, yeah, and, considering that yeah. Lacey Evans hasn't wrestled a single singles match. She's only ever appeared right. in the Royal Rumble as on the main roster. And that's um, just that's ridiculous. ridiculous. I mean, like, yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, we'll get to, obviously, the, the Raw thing, the Raw women's thing on uh, a little later. Uh, but, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with you. It's it's absolutely criminal that Asuka has been put in this sort of, or, sorry, as Christian called her on the, the kickoff show, and as I have decided to now call her from, from now on, Asuka um, huh. has been put in this, uh, in this in this position that is very much unworthy of her, frankly. Yeah, I mean, it's like they finally give her the the ball and tell her to run with it, and then, you know, they she got no. They said, yeah, exactly. It's like they cleared the field. You know, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> sure. I, I, running around an empty field in circles. Yeah, seriously. I mean, she's doing a great job, but I mean, really, is there really? Is, there's no competition or anything going on. Here. I don't know. It, it felt very lackluster, and I mean, Rose did fine, I suppose. Uh, I had the same issues with it you did. Uh, not every match has to be a workhorse match. Frankly, I, I would have been happy to see Asuka come out here and just kick the bejesus out of Mandy Rose in approximately a minute and a half. Uh, yeah. And that would have been fine by me. Let's establish the fact. Why not? Let's establish the fact that Asuka is a raging badass. And yeah. then you can build, if, if nothing else, you can build towards something at WrestleMania of like, well, shit, Asuka's on such a roll. Who's going to knock her off? Well, I think what, you know, what, they, what they very could eat. 
what the, or perhaps what they should have done is, like you say, had to go out there and, and get some some easy victories and, and build her up as the alpha female again. Uh, and then you can either, you know, put Ember Moon on SmackDown Live when she comes back and revisit that NXT rivalry that was always very compelling, or alternatively bring someone like Shayna Baszler up from NXT to face her. Right, right. I mean, there, there are options available out there, and none of them that I would pick would involve making Asuka in the SmackDown Women's Championship scene an afterthought. Um, because that's exactly what they are right now. Um, Asuka wound up getting the victory over uh, Mandy Rose. Um, you know, uh, for some reason, Sonya Deville was looking under the ring for stuff, and Rose tripped over the ring apron while she was bouncing off the ropes. Asuka took advantage of this to kick her right upside the fuck and uh, proceeded to pin her. So Asuka gets the victory here. It looks like DeVille and Rose are having some sort of issue with one another. And I have never more wished that Paige was still an active competitor than I did at this exact moment. Quite, yeah. Um, And, yeah, there you go. But uh, when we get done with that, uh, we finally go back to the McMahon family's office thing. And Vince is in there. And uh, Kofi had just been standing around outside and not going in, which is maybe, you know. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, really, I, I think that there was more to be read there between those lines than maybe anything else that was done all night long. Um, and I hope that Kofi was paying attention because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Vince McMahon has gone on record many, 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 many a time as saying that, you know, he likes to work with people that challenge him. The reason that Shawn Michaels was the, the favored son for all those years is because he wouldn't wait in line. He would cut in line and just walk in and talk to Vince McMahon, and Vince liked the balls of that. Same thing with Bret Hart, same thing with Steve Austin, same thing with The Rock, same thing with Triple H. And anybody who's ever been a big star in WWE has not been afraid of Vince McMahon. And even if it's not actively afraid of him, you know, like I'm sure Kofi has a good relationship with Vinnie Mac. uh, At the same time, he also seems like the kind of guy who would patiently wait outside the office door for a fucking hour. Um, Well, he said, you know, I mean, it's in his promos, isn't it? All I've wanted all these years is a chance. Yeah. You know, don't don't wait for it. Take Take it. it. Exactly. Grab the brass ring. And that's why I had such issue with people bitching about what Vince had to say about brass rings back in the day in regard to like Cesaro and stuff. Cesaro has still not grabbed any fucking brass rings. He has has competed fabulously. He is an incredible workhorse of a performer. So is Kofi Kingston, but not once have any of them like jumped up and grabbed any brass rings that were presented. And that is what that is. Vince wants you to go above and beyond and make, make a spectacle of yourself if you have to. Take the chance. And Kofi's the kind of guy who's not so much going to do that. Does that mean that he doesn't do that at all? And if Kofi Kingston walks out of WrestleMania with the WWE Championship... I'm going to be ridiculously happy. Uh, That would be awesome. I think he absolutely deserves it, uh, and that would be really, really good. But I do think that this, him standing outside that office for an hour just twiddling his thumbs, is a very good indication. And then as soon as they walk in, Vince is like, well, where have you been? I've been waiting for you. I think that that, there was something to be read between those lines as well. Um, So take that for what you will. But basically what we've got here is, you know, after Xavier and Big E are really kind of talking up Kofi, we wind up with uh, Vince saying, all right, here, okay, fine, you know, going to be a triple threat match tonight for the WWE title. You go on out to the ring. 
Uh, but Woods and Big E, you're banned from ringside. And they're like, cool. And Kofi's like, yay. And he goes out to the ring. But then we get the announcement that the championship matches later. Kofi is not the third member of the triple threat. Instead, he is to be facing the bar in a two-on-one handicap match. And it goes how you would anticipate. The bar wind up getting a, a pretty crushing victory. Um, yeah, well, I mean, there was some interference here and there, you know, uh, the crowd really not feeling it very well. They're not liking the fact that Kofi is being shat upon. Um, even though, I mean, it's kind of obvious that they're building him for something here. So I wouldn't get too upset about it personally, but it was just kind of, it was kind of unnecessary, honestly. Um, it seemed like they were were stacking the deck against Kofi and Kofi doesn't Like, we all know Kofi's story at this point. Everybody's behind Kofi. We don't have to see him get the shit out of him to want him to have a title match. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I do have some thoughts on it, but they're kind of so closely linked to the WWE title match that I'll save them for when we get to that. Right. But suffice to say, yeah, the bar beat Kofi Kingston here relatively easily. Uh, Nakamura and Rusev came down and got involved with Big E and Xavier, who had come down and... You know, so again, we just disregard the fact that they were banned from ringside. They come down there anyways. I guess, I mean, really, what does it hurt? You know, I mean, but who knows at this point what the hell's going on? Uh, it apparently resulted in one of the most fun tweets of the night because uh, Big E tweeted up, this doing the right thing clearly ain't it. Maybe we need to knock over a liquor store or something to be a star here. Please send me your petty crime suggestions. And Randy Orton retweeted them with the simple phrase, DM me. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Uh, Fun stuff there. Uh, But, yeah, the bar gets the victory over Kofi Kingston in a handicap match. It is not remotely shocking. And uh, now I guess we're – I guess you can't have a story where somebody is the underdog without having the authority stacking the deck against them, Um, even when it's a naturally built underdog story like Kofi Kingston is. I mean, his – his entire career has built up to him being the underdog in this position. You really don't need this extra stuff. Um, am I complaining that Kofi's getting a bit of the spotlight? No, um, that's fine. Um, being engaged in a storyline of any sort with the McMahons is, you know, at least in their mind, that's a featured spot. So I, I appreciate, I suppose, on some level what's being done here. It's just really unnecessary. And I think ultimately kind of hurts the story more so than helps it, you know? Yeah, but, like I said, my thoughts are so closely linked to the WWE yeah, we'll, we'll that I'll say them, But what I will say just very quickly here is that it's a typical case in point of, again, it's the writing to think, uh, to think laterally and to understand that there's more than one kind of an underdog story to tell. Right, right. And, of course, after that match, we had, like, another seeming 45 minutes of random stuff going on before another match hit the ring uh, because we had uh, Kayla Braxton backstage with Sasha Banks and Bailey, and they're talking about how awesome they are and how they're going to win their tag title match tonight. Elias comes back out there. He makes fun of The Miz. He makes fun of Kofi. He makes fun of Cleveland yet again, um, and that is that. Uh, we then get a replay of what Shane did earlier to The Miz in case we missed it, what, 30 minutes ago. Um you know, uh, and Kayla is back there. She wants to talk to him. He just comes out and kind of looks at her like she farted and proceeds to go back into his room. And so we get no explanation. And frankly, I could give a damn. And, you know, the only reason I would have wanted an explanation from Shane there is to save us from a 15 minute version that's coming up on Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> Cause you know, it's coming. Oh, um, absolutely. 
But we then finally head back to the ring. It is a Raw Tag Team title match, and uh, it was definitely an interesting one. We have the fairly newly arrived Ricochet and Aleister Black, which is which has become a very interesting to me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing the evolution of how they work on the main roster. Um, I... I, I don't know how to feel yet. I, I kind of wish that they had hung around NXT just a little while longer. Um, just a little while longer. It because felt that their promotion felt like a panic move to me, as so much of the events has. Well, I mean, it also, I mean, no, I mean, where's the exciting day after WrestleMania stuff going to come from now? You know? I mean, well, like, this is exactly it. And it's, you know, my friend Maverick, our friend Maverick. Uh, said exactly that about Ricochet on Twitter was like imagine how big a moment it would have been to have seen that light show the night after WrestleMania. Absolutely. On, a, on like a random episode of Monday Night Raw one week when you can't think of anything else to do. Same for Black because Black like people love them some Aleister Black. I love me some Aleister Black. Like yeah, it just seemed like a, a yeah they pushed the panic button and just kind of threw them out there and now they're a tag team and that's fine. But I I don't know I just. I don't know what to think yet. I, I'm reserving judgment because, frankly, there's not enough there for you to really judge quite yet. But Ricochet and Aleister Black, uh, they're already in a tag team title match here. They're taking on Chad Gable and Bobby Roode and the tag team champions, The Revival, which feels so good to say. I'm going to say it again. The Raw tag team champions, The Revival. Um, and, yeah, this was a super fun match. Um, again, it was one of those things where if you just look at the sheer level of talent in the ring, it's really kind of hard to go wrong. Um, just a ridiculous amount of talent all over the place. And uh, this was fun. Uh, I really enjoyed this a lot. Uh, these are this, this grouping of guys is just full of some of my absolute favorites, kind of underdog favorites, low-key favorites. Like, I'd love me some Chad Gable. I've loved me some Bobby Roode for quite some time. Aleister Black is arguably my favorite male performer in the company right now. Ricochet is about as exciting a aerial performer as you're going to get nowadays, which is a thing unto itself. Uh, he's definitely fun to watch, if nothing. Uh, and the Revival, man, it just don't get any better in tag team wrestling right now than the Revival. So it was nice to have that anchor in the middle of everything with all of these personalities and fun and weirdness and just whatever the hell else was going on around them. There's the revival just standing in the middle of it, uh, being the rock, if you will. Well, not the rock, not, not, yeah, not, not Dwayne, but you know what I mean? Uh, the Oak, if you will, um, <laughs> We wind up down towards the end of this entire thing. Uh, all kinds of craziness happening. Ricochet just dives off the top and runs around and does all kinds of crazy shit out on the floor. Chad Gable's like, what? Uh, but he proceeds to come off the top uh, on Dawson, but Dawson turned it into a roll-up. Gable then gets a two-count on Dawson in exchange, and it all wound up in a shatter machine on Chad Gable, and that is all she wrote. The Revival are still your Raw Tag Team Champions, and justifiably so at this given point in time. Um, I hate to put this out there because, you know, it's probably not going to make you super duper happy, but, um, given the, the, I don't know the given the talents involved in this and the potential for other talents to get involved, you know, there's other tech floating around at the moment. I'm starting to smell a ladder match. <laughs> Oh, Christ. I mean, um, 
can, can you think of anything that would get Vince McMahon's dick harder than, than having Ricochet in a ladder match at his first, first WrestleMania? Good Lord. Well, I, I mean, know if, you remember, if, you, if you remember last WrestleMania weekend, we did, the, we did an aftershock on the takeover, didn't we, with the dog? Yeah. And I was like, if, if there's one way to not introduce me to a wrestler who's a high flyer like Ricochet, it's in a ladder match. And yet that was the way that I kind of got introduced to him. Um, I, I, what I will say about Ricochet specifically, actually, to be fair, uh, and, it, and it kind of, it, there's, a, there's a kind of, there's an adamant, churlish part of me that dies a little bit when, I, when I'm forced to say that uh, I, I actually quite enjoy him. Yeah. Uh, because the, the, the high-flying aerobatics, um, acrobatics, sorry, there's no such thing as aerobatics, that's a word I've just made up. Um, the uh, the, the high-flying acrobatic stuff, he seems to have figured out quite quickly how to work it in a sensible way that's conducive with WWE style matches and in a way that doesn't feel intrusive. Um, yes. And so I, I quite like that. Um, I thought this match was a hell of a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. I love the fact that it was on the main card, not on the pre-show. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge fan of obviously the revival. I'm a huge fan. I've become a huge fan of the team of Gable and uh, Rude. I, lo- I love, love, love their neck breaker moonsault finish. I just think it's amazing. Um, and not so, not so much uh, as big a fan of Ricochet and Alistair Black, certainly perhaps not as much of uh, Alistair Black as, as yourself. Um, but I do quite like the... Um, I've sort of, in my own head, come to think of them as, as sort of a bit of sh- sort of shock and awe in the sense that you get these two incredible entrances back-to-back every time they wrestle. Yeah. Um, and they've got two such distinct ring styles as well. You know, well, they, the, they the, feel... the, the stiff strikes and the, and the, the aerial stuff, uh, they're, they're really compelling to watch as a team. And so I thought that the action was really fluid, the teams were all really great, and I just really, really enjoyed it. This, to me, was where the pay-per-view should have started. They really remind me of, and this is a weird pull, but uh, Black and Ricochet together kind of remind me of CM Punk and Kofi Kingston. Um, ECW had just kind of recently died. You know, they were kind of the burgeoning up and coming stars. They were really just kind of breaking through on the two, you know, on the big main shows. And they kind of combined their efforts and, and really kind of gained a foothold in that fashion. Um, and I, I don't know, it kind of feels somewhat similar. You've got the striker and the high flyer together and it, it, it works for what it is. Uh, and they're both charismatic in their own distinct, but very different ways. Um, and I, I think that's what it boils down to with Ricochet is that he has a certain charisma about him that, I don't know, it's just innate, uh, you know, that sometimes that's just the way that it is, that there's these, I mean, Jeff Hardy is a perfect example. Uh, I was talking to uh, my, my lady friend about that last night, uh, you know, we were just watching some random wrestling matches, and she was dropping knowledge on me that she has retained that I had not realized that she retained, and frankly, I was proud, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, but in trying to explain to her why Jeff Hardy is as big a star as he is, and you just ultimately come down to the guy just has something. Um, it's not his promos. It's not even necessarily the Daredevil stuff, because other people have done that plenty. There's just something about Jeff Hardy that people love for some reason. And, you know, Ricochet, I think, has a bit of that in him. He's going to be one of those guys that people are are just drawn to the dude. And, uh, and that's a, that's not a bad trait to have. So, um, lots of talent just flying all over the ring in this match. Just a ridiculous amount of talent. 
for tag team wrestling to be in such a slump right now, we sure we sure do have one hell of a loaded roster, don't we? Uh, man, uh, that that's some great teams on there. And it's not like it's not like SmackDown's hurting for great ones either. So, uh, yeah, pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. Uh, after the match is over with, uh, Black gets beat down, and and everybody's all beating each other up left and right. And Rude attacks this guy, and Ricochet goes for a six thirty, and just all kinds of craziness. And we wind up with the revival kind of escaping with their titles, which is you know what they had just done in the ring as well. So. That's the way that that goes. Um, fun match, definitely a really fun match, and uh, you know uh, one of the better ones on the card this evening, uh, to say the least. I would say um, we get more hype about the Shield reunion, and we get hype about Charlotte and Becky, and this and that, and et cetera, et cetera. And then we head into the ring for a fatal four-way for the WWE United States Championship. We have the resurgent R Truth, which I frankly have been glad to see here lately because that guy has deserved a shake for quite some time. Um, and I'm glad to see that he's kind of in the mix here. If you know, it's only temporary. I think we all kind of know that, but our truth, we've got Andrade Cien Almas, even though he's no longer Cien Almas, which hurts my heart because that's so fun to say, uh, Rey Mysterio and Samoa Joe, who does not have any inflection or rolling R's in his name. Um, so yeah, our truth, uh, that, that one, I don't know. That was, that, that one sounded weird, but interesting mix. Here. They all sound weird. I don't understand this habit that people have of suddenly turning Mexican or putting on a Mexican accent whenever they say a Mexican name. Cause we literally, it's not like when you say a German name, you put on a German accent or a French name, you put on a French. So I don't understand why it happens. Honestly. I think for me, it's just become, I live in Texas. So like I'm okay. used to I'm used to hearing names like that pronounced in that fashion, Joe. So it's become like I've very rarely do you hear Rey Mysterio called Rey Mysterio. You know, depending on who you're talking to, he's Rey Mysterio. Um, <laughs> and that is what that is. Uh, Andrade is I don't know if I put inflection on that or not. I, I, you do. I guess it's well. I guess it's better than saying Andretti. Yeah, we <laughs> we had we had our truth and Andretti and Rey Mysterious out there against Mo and Joe, and man, they were fighting. For the United States title, it's title of America. Um, yeah, not America. I, I tell you what, I am impressed by the fact that you're from Texas and yet your Texas accent is awful. Well, that wasn't really my Texas accent. Oh, okay. My my Texas accent can go a little bit deeper, and I can talk like this. That, right? That's quite good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm quite surrounded by it. So you know, we had Carmella out there, of course, with our truth, and they were rapping with Truth's entrance, and uh, Zelina Vega. <laughs> out with Andrade. Rey Mysterio came out with nobody but a weird mohawk on his head. And then Samoa Joe don't need anybody because he's Samoa fucking Joe. And I'm going to stop doing that now because I, kind of <laughs> I was about to say you don't have to do the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> to convince me you could do a Texas accent. Right, right. So, though now I do, I have an urge to, to call my girlfriend. It, I, I want to I wanna take the name of the German accent now. So she will be Kirsty. Uh, anyways. Bell so rings. Could, I thought you said a German accent. I, I don't know what the hell that is. I, I, I don't <laughs> it's know. It's just a funny voice. Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> right on. Right on. Uh, Sorry. I, 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 yeah, yeah, never mind. Never mind. We'll just move <laughs> right along. Uh, <laughs> it was a fatal four-way. It was fun for what it was. Uh, I... I there was really not much to this. I mean, there was a, a, the modicum of a storyline heading into it. I mean, um, 
I don't think I liked I I tell you what, I I liked the fact that Samoa Joe quote unquote asked for it because I love the I think that's so in keeping with his character. Oh yeah. Um you know, that he's just this because he is a beat I mean Samoa Joe is one of the most compelling and convincing characters uh, on the roster, and he has been since he debuted. I mean, and man, how we, the hell? We have but, been singing this guy's praises for months. We yeah, have been absolutely. talking about how amazing Samoa Joe is, and he could, he remains ama- just amazing in everything he does. Absolutely. How he's how they never put the world title on him, I don't know. But um, nonetheless, it's nice to see him with the championship. So I love the fact he, he asked for the match. I love the fact the match was designed to sort of show him as like the central monster of it as well. That was quite cool. Um, Rumours are he's going to go on and face Cena at WrestleMania. I hope to goodness he wins if he does, um, because he's earned that big, what is that big the, victory. What is the deal with Truth and Cena? What's, what's, I missed somewhere, something along the way. Why is Archer think, suddenly obsessed with John Cena? Uh, it's just one of those things. So he's just being weird yeah. truth? He's just being weird truth. And I, I think it's just laying the groundwork for Cena. To yeah, because I mean, Joe yeah. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty obvious at this point that Joe is just going to, like, murder our truth at some point. And, like, wouldn't it be awesome if they pulled a full Macho Man? Like, like Carmelo runs away and comes back with John Cena. Yeah. He, he's got a chair, and he's, like, wagging his finger with a bandana on. I'll tell you what, brother. Uh, yeah, that would be something special there. But uh, I could see something very similar to that actually going down, uh, maybe without the, you know, the finger wagging and the bandana. But uh, Samoa Joe winds up walking out of this one with the U.S. title still over his shoulder, and deservedly so. I mean, come on. Um, I, there's I, I don't have a lot to say about this one. It, I mean, it was it was fine. Yeah, it was it was, <laughs> it was it was fun for what it was. Yeah, I mean there, there was just there wasn't much to it in the first place. Honestly, uh, it just kind of was what it was. It seems like they're building towards other stuff. Um, it does know, it does and, make me laugh though that this this you know this wasn't booked ahead of time. It was it or announced ahead of time, I should say. They announced it on the kickoff show. Uh, it was a, a totally superfluous match in the fact that it was a total rerun from what we saw on SmackDown Live that seemed to serve only the purpose of deliberately making the show over three hours long for some reason. Pretty much. Uh, and most hilariously of all, in an age where we were told automatic rematches for titles were no longer a thing, it was literally a rematch of the match we saw on SmackDown Live. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is, that explains it fairly well, actually. Uh, Samoa Joe retains, justifiably so. Uh, it was a fun watch. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It, it was a fun watch. Uh, we moved from that to a match that wasn't as fun a watch. Uh, it was for the women's tag team titles, Nia Jackson and Tamina taking on Sasha Banks and Bayley. Uh, I refuse to call them the Boston Hug Connection because that's one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever heard in my life. Uh, but the boss, the boss is smug connection. I like to call them. Uh, huh? Huh? Uh, against against the mild Samoans. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Samoan like, if you will. Um, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, this one. It, it it wasn't pretty, was it? It really wasn't. Um, I mean, I, I don't even know how. If you are 
Nia Jax, how you how you almost drop Sasha Banks mm. when trying to give her a, a Samoan drop. Like, I mean, I, I, far be it for me to criticize these athletes. You know, I mean, accidents do happen and stuff like that. It's not like Sasha Banks only weighs like four pounds or some crap like that. But you would really, of all the people, you would think that Nia Jax wouldn't almost drop her on her face. Uh, but, you know, it was just kind of... And that's not to slight Nia Jax or make fun of her or say that she's not talented or whatever. It's just kind of to indicate that the they were off tonight. Uh, this did this never gelled. Uh, it never really got into any sort of rhythm. And frankly, even though it was hyped up and touted and everybody seemed to want it so bad for some strange reason, I'm still not sold on why the hell we need women's tag team titles. Um I I don't think that they fit. I don't think that we have a big enough women's roster, frankly, at this point to justify women's tag team titles. When you've got when you've got Oscar facing Mandy fucking Rose on the mm. pay per view, why are we having tag team title matches? Uh, it I don't know. Uh, it just seems like this. It it seems superfluous, frankly. It but is, the, it best, is. Uh, the best part of all this was that Best Phoenix was on commentary, and when it was all said and done, and eventually we have Banks and and Bailey wind up getting the victory, uh, kind of by hook or by crook. They you know they snuck a victory out of it. Of course, the uh, uh, the other ladies, Jax and Snooka, they 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 were pissed off, and they're all beating them up. Uh, Beth Phoenix comes out and she's just looking kind of disappointed in the entire thing. And it winds up with her throwing a punch. And next thing you know, we've got all kinds of beat down happening and Beth Phoenix is getting physically involved. So, uh, that is a thing that happened. And of course, here comes her longtime friend, Nettie, uh, Natalia comes down there and pin up strong back in full effect here. So unless I'm seeing things wonky, it looks like some inexplicable reason we're going to get pin up strong versus Nia Jackson, Tamina Snookum at WrestleMania. See, this is all of this is such a clear example of how WWE creates a problem out of laziness and then, in attempting to dig their way out of the problem, create another problem and it just begins this domino effect. And I'll tell you what I mean you're absolutely bang on. Uh, we don't need women's tag titles. And I would, if I was a betting man, put money on the fact that the only reason they exist is because it gets WWE out of writing story-driven feuds between female competitors not currently chasing one of the two show championships, singles championships. So they've gone, okay, well, we need to do something with all these other women. Uh, we'll just create a tag team title, pair them all up, and then that way they've got something to fight for. And it also, it also gives it. them the super-duper lazy thing of whenever you want to you know, start a storyline, just have a tag team partner turn on a tag team partner. Exactly. So it's, it's a shortcut to avoid having to think on their feet when it comes to think creatively when it comes to their writing but suddenly then you go okay we've got these tag titles but even though we've got this division that's too big to just have two singles titles we've also got this division that's not big enough to handle two singles titles and tag titles as well so we'll have tag titles that cross all the brands even though the male tag titles don't cross all the brands Uh, and that's going to be a thing even though it doesn't really fit with any other kind of logic that should help but then also what we're going to end up with then is we're going to suddenly have a load of teams that aren't chasing the tag titles. And then what do we do with them? Oh, well, I guess we'll have to pull out some teams from years past, some pull out some legends and teams to wrestle the teams who aren't wrestling for the tag titles that we created for people to chase who weren't chasing one of the other two singles. T- so it creates this domino effect. And I reckon that this, this hint at doing, you know, pit up strong against 
the Miles Samoans is just a, a, a result of the fact that suddenly they've got Tamina and Nia Jax as this established tag team with nothing for them to do at WrestleMania. Uh, and for whatever, I mean, I'm not even sure when it became a thing that every single performer has to be on WrestleMania. Like, because it used to be that wasn't the case at all. You know, the, the well, WrestleMania I mean, would WrestleMania would feature like the most relevant performers, and anyone else would end up in the in the battle royal, and that'd be it. You know, and some of them right. wouldn't even be in the battle royal. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and we established last year there's a female battle royal. You know, I mean, why not just let everybody be in that? I mean, if if if, if I, I, listen, I, I, I'm a big Beth Phoenix fan. I've always been a big fan of the of the Glamazon, and I'm one of those people who, like, ever since she left, has kind of wanted to see her come back in some capacity. Um, and and I've missed Beth Phoenix. I, I I've been very interested to see where she would fit into today's landscape. And do I think that this is a full time comeback by any stretch of the imagination? Well, hell no. Uh, but I I can't say that I would much more interested in just seeing Beth Phoenix versus extracurricular stuff. Like if you're gonna bring Beth Phoenix back, and it's supposed to be some kind of a big deal, she's a Hall of Famer, this and that. Why not make it a big deal? Why do we have to stick to some random tag team match? That I mean, why the fuck does this? Just, why is it on WrestleMania? You know, exactly. like it almost is inevitably going to be on WrestleMania, and like, why? It, I, I, I just don't get why. I mean, and again, it's, I love Beth Phoenix. I'm a big Beth Phoenix fan, but I don't want to see her in a random fucking tag team match with no stakes whatsoever on WrestleMania. It's gotten to the point where they seem to be deliberately making shows ridiculously long. Um, I mean, the only and it's like, it's like there we, is we, to give, we, yeah. The WrestleMania card, the main WrestleMania card, has to be five hours long. So we need to have enough matches to fill that time, rather than saying, okay, well, this year, you know, we can actually get away with having fewer matches and making WrestleMania four hours again. It just, I don't know, it's, because it's it's like they forgot that the only reason WrestleMania 32 ended up at five hours long was because The Rock came out and set his name on fire for 30 minutes, and the show went 30 minutes over. Right. Or, or 60 minutes over even. You know, it's like they forgot that they stumbled into that and that suddenly now it's it became... Then it became officially a thing that WrestleMania had to be five hours long. Yeah, it just... Uh, th- Which this, is insane. It, five hours long for a wrestling show. Seven hours with the pre-show. That's the same length as a full working day pretty much here in the yeah. UK. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's... Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's how many hours I work today, you know. Um, it's it's ridiculous. Um, this entire segment, to me, just the, the entirety, from beginning to end, the entire segment was just an example of extraneous, uh, just, yes. it, just, just extraneous. <laughs> I don't even have to add another word. <laughs> it's just... Uh, superfluous, I suppose, as a synonym to throw in there, just because it's just doing shit for the sake of doing it at this point. And I mean, I, I'm I'm glad to see Beth probably coming back. I mean, yay! But I I really would have much rather seen her do something a whole hell of a lot cooler than this. But you know, I mean, I'm a Beth Phoenix fan as well, and and essentially, I've no real strong. You know, I don't feel strongly enough about it to resent a return from her. But at the same time, you do think, well, what's the point in having an overloaded roster, you know, with literally hundreds of wrestlers on when you're just going to bring back all your old vets anyway? Like, right. is it if you've not got enough talent to come up with a WrestleMania card full time, what on earth are you playing at? 
Uh, I mean, the they've only got enough ta- they've got enough talent to book two seven-hour WrestleManias. Well, I mean, the, like, the only way exaggerating. The only way I can see this being meaningful is if what we wind up with is these same two teams facing off against one another with Pinup Strong also in the mix and making it a triple threat. Because Maybe, if yeah. the, if the, because if the titles aren't involved, then what the fuck is the point? Yeah, quite. I mean, honestly, and the titles barely mean anything at this point anyways, unfortunately. Uh, I really wish that they would have waited until they had a stronger roster and a more defined, you know, characters and stuff like that before they pulled out the tag team titles uh, as an idea in general. But as it stands right now, it's just without them, this means less than nothing. You know, it barely would mean anything with the tag titles in the mix. But without them, it's just like, okay, sure. Uh, I guess Beth Phoenix is back for a match. Uh, all right. You know, uh, good for the Copelands. They got to pay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anywho, uh, yeah, just extraneous. That 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 is, that's the moral of that story. And we move on from there to a triple threat match for the WWE Championship. This one has jumped up and down and been all kinds of wonky over the last few weeks. And, uh, it was originally it was going to be Daniel Bryan taking on Kofi Kingston. Everybody was super duper happy and excited about that. Then they pulled the rug out from under us and threw in Kevin Owens, and everybody was kind of happy about that as well, even though they felt bad for Kofi, but they were happy that Kevin Owens was back, and he seems to be a babyface, and that's kind of a fun dynamic, and I like the way that these two guys kind of play off of one another in promos and stuff. And then they kind of throw Mustafa Ali back into the mix this evening when, you know, it's almost like they're acknowledging the fact that I mean, I saw the story going around, oh, Kofi Kingston's only in this position because Mustafa Ali got hurt and they just wanted to sub somebody in. So it's almost like WWE knew that we knew, and so they were like, oh, they'll be cool. We'll throw Mustafa Ali back into the mix, and they'll be like, that's what they meant to do all along, and they'll just accept it. When in reality, Mustafa Ali felt like a third wheel tonight. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I felt like... Like, I'm a huge Ali guy, and I really... I really like like the guy, too. Back in January, when we did our yearly um, predictions for the coming year show on on the pond, uh, I very kind of, uh, at the time, bravely predicted Ali would wrestle Brian for the title at Mania. Because I was like, you know, who else? At the time, there was no other obvious candidate going to wrestling for the title at Mania. Because the whole Owens return was kind of not even being spoken on that sort of thing. Um, and so I was desperate to see that. Anyway, when it, when it, became, when it came out that they basically given to Kofi the exact role that they were going to give to Ali, I had an issue with it because it was a context thing. I was like, it made sense for Ali to be a world beater because of the way his character arc's gone. It's a harder sell for me to buy Kofi goes from being, uh, and I mean this from an in-universe perspective, not a real-world perspective, from being a, a chronic underachiever to a world beater suddenly overnight unless they follow through with it. Then they did follow through with it, so I had less of an issue with it. Uh, and then they decided to push Kofi's title match back apparently to WrestleMania, which is essentially a good thing. Uh, to have Ali, though, still turn up after his injury at Fastlane, um, having done like a brief cameo at the end of SmackDown Live, felt rushed. And I wonder whether they'd have been better off being a bit more patient, letting him build up some steam again, and basically holding off on his title match till after WrestleMania at this point, after they dealt with the Kofi arc. And again, it's a typical case of, of WWE sort of inadequately trying to adapt to a situation on the fly and, and kind of getting it, I felt a little bit wrong, especially because the mood of the audience heading into this thing was a rebellious one. I mean, the match started off with them booing all three men. 
They were chanting we wanted Kofi. I was I was fearful of a of a quote unquote hijack uh, coming. Well, I mean, what they were um, and, what they did was they turned Ali into Rey Mysterio tonight. Yeah, essentially, absolutely. That's I mean, that's it, exactly what that's kind. Of, I mean, almost exactly what they did. Yeah, absolutely. And so and so, I was kind of angry. I mean, luckily, I think through the talent of the three performers and the tenacity of their performance, they kind of quelled the crowd rebellion. Um, so that by the end, the crowd were a bit more interested in what was going on. But you all, you got the sense even then that their interest was only half of what it might have otherwise been. Now, this brings me to my thoughts on the Kofi situation earlier in the night, which was part of the reason why, as you say, Ali became Mysterio and it kind of felt like they threw him under the bus. I know it's two as well, I felt to a degree, was because they've judged the Kofi thing wrong. Because it's like you don't need... To, the, the underdog story for Kofi isn't that he's fighting the authority. It's that he's been around for a very long time. He's kind of an unlikely world champion because of how long he's been around. But you can still get that sense of he could, he could get the job done if he gets the opportunity. It's got nothing to do with authority figures at all. It's no. got nothing to no. do with his career being politically derailed at all. No. Um, and so what they'd have been better off doing, I felt, was instead of doing this weird handicap thing, that they did like why not just have him chase the like i first of all i don't understand why you would pretend to give him a title shot then take that away from him i imagine that's something they improvised fair enough but then why not just book him in a number one contenders match against ali at fast lane instead of doing this triple threat thing and and, and because that way what you do is you signal to the audience kofi's getting for a definite kofi's getting his title match at wrestlemania so they don't rebel when it comes to a world title match at fast lane that doesn't feature kofi because they know that there's bigger things on the horizon for kofi uh, and you still get the wrestlemania implication of of you know we know kofi's going to challenge but who is he going to challenge the, the whole thing because it's it should be a shared universe thing but it's not being written as a shared universe thing and so it kind of didn't work but I thought the match itself, the triple threat match itself, was pretty good. Yes. I quite enjoyed it. And I thought Ali was, was actually put on a tremendous performance again. I thought Owens looked really uh, refreshed. I love the fact he's using the stunning now as his finisher. Um, and he seems to be, uh, he seems to have rediscovered a bit of energy in his performances that I think was lacking when he left. Um, but it does feel like Ali has kind of been derailed because of this, and it does feel like like they've stalled Owens before it could even get going because of this. Yeah, I mean, this, they definitely did a disservice to Ali this evening, uh, if nothing else. And um, I don't know, it just it it did. It felt disjointed. It felt it it was poorly structured. Um, the Kofi stuff either shouldn't have been addressed at all this yeah. evening. Let that play out on television. It didn't yeah. need to be incorporated tonight. Uh, because then when Ali came walking out there as the third member of the triple threat, I mean, even if people had been kind of hoping for and expecting Kofi, at least there's a good chance they would have popped for it, you know, and, you know, I, it, I don't know. But it just, it, I don't know. It felt anticlimactic, frankly. Um, it's, also, it's also frustrating because what they've done by rushing Ali back into this um, is they've wasted a hell of a story because, as I tweeted out while the triple threat was happening, a year ago, Ali was, was wrestling on a show no one was watching to get a Cruiserweight title match that we knew was going to be on the kickoff at WrestleMania. Right. A year later, 
he's in a in a pay-per-view WWE championship match against Daniel Bryan with every in-universe opportunity to walk into WrestleMania as WWE champion in the space of a year. That's an incredible story, and it just got wasted tonight. Aside from the fact that Kevin Owens' big comeback really kind of just by by shoehorning it into the middle of whatever they're doing with Kofi, it really did a disservice to Kevin Owens. Absolutely. He he really kind of deserved – he's a big enough star to have warranted his comeback being a big deal and, and him having a program all his own ready and waiting for him when he came back to do on his not, – not just being interjected into some other shit that's going on. Now, if this was leading to Kevin Owens and Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania – then I would be like, okay, that's cool. You know, that that's, that is worth Kevin Owens' talent, you know. But it's, it, it's not. And if it does at this point, it shouldn't. Because for all the talk that we've done about it and everything, I, had, I have to say, at this given point in time, with just the way that the tides have turned and the way that things have gone over the last couple of months, Kofi Kingston should get the championship match at WrestleMania. That's just the way that things are going right now, and I think that the crowd is really behind it. It makes the most sense from a storyline perspective, and just that's the way that it should go right now. But if if that's the case, then why the hell were Ali and Owens even in the mix here? You know what I mean? Uh, they could have just as easily been in an elimination chamber or something like that. Ali was hurt, of course, and Owens, I guess, still technically was too. But you know what I mean? Like, it's... It really didn't feel meaningful, and uh, both of them deserved a little better, I thought. Um, you'd have been better served just having a random match for with Daniel Bryan, you know, let Daniel Bryan wrestle somebody, I don't know who, but then have Owens and Ali and maybe Kofi in a triple threat match to determine who goes on to WrestleMania. That would have, yeah. that would have been a hell of a match. People would have been hyped for that. That would have been a big deal. Because you would have had all three people, you know, people could have been behind them and excited for the potential for them to win. And that would have been something to watch right there. And I bet it would have been one hell of a good match. Um, but instead, they really kind of overthought it and and turned it into a bit of a clusterfuck in many ways. Um, so now I think we're just kind of every option that we have moving forward with the WWE Championship is really kind of in one way or another, somewhat lackluster um, because the Kofi thing, even if they do wind up going that route and people are indeed behind it, it's now kind of been overthought because again, as you mentioned, why, why is Kofi Kingston suddenly the enemy of the state? You know, yeah. like why do the McMahons hate Kofi Kingston? What the hell did he do? You know, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's kind of par for the course as well here over the last little bit. There's just random stuff happening that doesn't seem to make a whole hell of a lot of sense. But we're getting what we want, aren't we? Yay! And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. There, the story, the story of a number of uh, well, this and I think the Raw Women's Title match as well that's 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 evolving is WWE being unable to get out of their own way because. The the Kofi story is a very very simple one. Uh, very and is, simple. And it very is that simple. he's he's an eleven year vet that's built up a whole load of of positive uh, sentiment from the fans. He's an underdog because he's an unlikely WrestleMania main eventer, as defined by his longevity in the company. You give him a title shot, he chases the title, he has a great match. That's it. That's literally all you need to do. 
but because it's WWE, they can't get out of their own way. Like you say, they overthink it, they overwrite it, they overproduce it. You know, they start... The McMahons have got to be all over it because obviously there's no real stars in the company, as we know. Um, I roll my eyes when I say that. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's it's a shame that they have to... Uh, they have to kind of uh, convolute something so beautifully simple. Yeah, very true. And it's, uh, you know, kind of is what it is there. And I guess we'll see how it all develops moving forward. But uh, I I can't exactly say that this made me any more excited to see it than I was coming into the night, frankly. Um, So, yeah, Uh, we move on from there to uh, one of the – highest profile matches of the night very easily. It was Becky Lynch taking on Charlotte Flair. This one was also fairly anticlimactic because uh, right around the time that you started thinking maybe this is going to get hot, uh, Ronda Rousey came out there um, and proceeded to, uh, she nailed Lynch while she was in the uh, uh, the figure eight. Uh, of course, that means that Lynch gets the victory. So she is now in the triple threat match or, or it becomes a triple threat match at WrestleMania. I don't really have a problem with that. I do think that it would – I think that they would be better – everyone would be better served by Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch at this point without Charlotte being in the mix. Um, I would much rather see Charlotte going uh, – I want to see her in Asuka again. I think a rematch yep. with the shoe on the other foot would have been exactly the way to go there, and that would have made both women's titles at WrestleMania a big fucking deal this yep. year instead of just putting the giant spotlight on this one match – and yeah. then, you know, saving, like, you know, somebody's got a mag light over there that they're shining on Asuka. Um, and that's kind of unfortunate. Uh, that would have been a much better use of, of the talent available to them, in my opinion. But, you know, they don't hire me to – they don't pay me to write their shit, obviously. So that is what that is. Um, this was very anticlimactic because I, I love seeing Becky and Charlotte. They have an incredible chemistry with one another. But like I said, right as this really felt like it was get a get hot and and maybe we were going to see some good stuff here, it didn't happen because here comes Ronda to get into the mix. And there's really, frankly, not much to say about this one because we knew going into it exactly how it was going to go. Uh, yeah, not much to say. Uh, the I mean, I've kind of that, that feels they, weird. This this is one of the most hyped matches on the entire card with well, some of the biggest implications for WrestleMania. But I mean, it was so obvious the way that it was going to go that what the fuck is there to say? Well, the thing is, I think this is a, a, like the Kofi thing, a, another case of WWE being unable to get out of their own way. I, I think, I mean, on on my Sunday column this week, which is available to read on LordsPain.net, I express how I've kind of had any enthusiasm for this match. Uh, driven out of me by this point by the the ludicrously convoluted uh, sort of um, storyline that, that's developed through WWE's inability to think ahead more than one week. Um, because when you start to lay it all down since Survivor Series, which I do in my column this week, and you just write down the series of events, it really drives home how insane the writing has been. Um, and I think that they've been given a free pass because obviously people are hyped to see the end result. I'm less hyped to see the end result. And with four weeks still to go, I really wouldn't be shocked if by the time WrestleMania comes around, unless WWE chill out a little bit and just let this now play out in a relatively straightforward way between here and then, I wouldn't be shocked if, if because I've had a bit of feedback on that column incidentally with more than one fan sharing their own sudden lack of enthusiasm for the, for the match as a result of the convoluted story. 
I wouldn't be shocked if it didn't end up headlining WrestleMania in terms of being the last match on just because of that. Um, so we'll see. But, you know, it's people are ultimately excited to support Becky Lynch, which is a positive thing. You've got three full-time performers in a major title match at WrestleMania, which is a positive thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, at this point, I hope it's just a relatively straight foot. Because, again, it was, this, was a, this could have been a very, very simple feud again. Becky wins the Royal Rumble, decides she faces Ronda. Ronda has to defend the title a couple of times on the way to WrestleMania. And then you get Ronda versus Becky. That's all you had to do. But they had 10 weeks. I mean, first of all, the wait between the Rumble and WrestleMania this year has been insane. 10 weeks is a stupid amount of time to space apart between crowning the challenges for WrestleMania and getting to WrestleMania. Uh, so that's just an issue in itself. But um, again, it could have been very straightforward. And I think they've just absolutely, in the most insane fashion, turned it into this complicated web of events that just didn't need to happen. People being suspended and injured and unsuspended and re-injured and title matches stripped and given back to them and earned back again and champions vacating titles without vacating titles and coming back and turning heel and it's just madness. It, yeah, yeah, it's it's been unnecessarily complicated and you know uh, every once in a while you'll you know you'll run across that person who who throws big words in there but uses them completely wrong. You know, they're they're throwing in big words just trying to sound mm. smart. Mm. Uh, or or you'll That's run across a great analogy. you'll run across that writer who who makes things incredibly incredibly complicated when it really the the best way to approach it would have just been to be you know explicit. Uh, that that's what WWE is doing right now. They're they're really this is way too complicated, way too complicated. The same thing with the Kofi thing, uh, the same thing with the women's you know the the Be- uh, the Beth Phoenix thing we talked about earlier. Just there's any number of things that would be a lot better right now if they were just stripped down and made more simple. Uh, and and that's not an issue of dumbing them down either, because you know making something more simple and more straightforward doesn't necessarily mean dumb, you know. Because again, as exactly, I mentioned before, yeah. uh, it doesn't matter what big words you're using if you're using them in the wrong context. And WWE is mm-hmm. very much using them in the wrong context right now. Um, so that kind of is what that is. Um, but yeah, we've got our triple threat uh, set up at the moment. Whether or not it stays that way, I suppose, remains to be seen. Uh, and even if it does, I mean, I guess the big question that's hanging over everything is, let's say that Becky Lynch goes on to WrestleMania. She gets the big win. Everybody's super-duper excited. That's great, but what the fuck have you done with the women's roster in the interim to give her anybody to face afterwards? Exactly, uh, yeah. And and the big the answer to that is nothing, nothing because as of right now there's three women on the entire roster who matter, and that's it. Um, they've really done a disservice to the women's division by, and it's it's really backhanded the way that they've done it because in showcasing this feud so heavily, which feels like a step forward, they've really taken a step back because everybody else is in the backseat uh, and, and aren't even close. You know when 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 your other women's champion in Oscar is like less than an afterthought almost on this card. That's really not a great sign. Um, but we'll see how it all breaks down as WrestleMania gets here. Uh, we, we, we went from there to Elias in the ring for another song, and this was that wonky, weird segment where AJ Styles apparently called Miss Cleo or something uh, because 
Randy Orton magically shows up, and well, first Lacey Evans strolled on out there because she does that sometimes when a lot. Um, Randy Orton then comes out there and lays out Elias with an RKO, and then Bickety Bam, here's AJ Styles with a big phenomenal forearm to take out Orton, and that's it. I mean, literally, yeah. literally, not a moment of that segment made any sense. Not a bit. Not a. Like, why? The Lacey Evans thing doesn't make sense anyway. Why would Randy Orton want to RKO Elias, who is on no. a different show, when the two of them have never had any interaction of any sort? And how the hell did AJ Styles know Randy Orton was going to turn up to RKO Elias, with whom he has no issue? I mean, the whole thing was just just, just ridiculous. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, but that brought us to our main event of the evening. Uh, it's Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, Bobby Lashley. They are taking on the reunited, possibly for the last time, Shield. And we are going to talk about that uh, for a solid 10 minutes or so here in just a moment. But first, we do have to take our last break of the show here. We'll come right back. We'll talk about the main event. Wrap this whole thing up right after you check out this right here. I mean, I had to do it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I had to. I mean, we're down to our last two shows here. We have to have Undertaker. I, I, I tell you what, I would like to make a request. Oh. Next week is, and I, you know, you handle all of the fancy sound effects. I don't know. But next week, my last Aftershock, uh, if you don't have the Bird It Down screen from Seth Rollins' entrance music as in, instead of Undertaker's gong, I'm going to be very upset. <sighs> Jeez, man. <laughs> oh, well, we'll see, I suppose. <laughs> speaking of, of bearing the lead, and uh, anyways, when speaking of burning it down, uh, The Shield made their way out there this evening to face off against the, the three guys who don't really have a name for their team, and I'm glad that they don't because it probably would have been something real powerful fucking stupid. Uh, we got Baron Corbin, Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre. They're taking on The Shield. And, I mean, this was fine to me. Uh, I, I, it had all of the S.H.I.E.L.D. moments that you would like in it. It, it hit all the beats correctly. Uh, the issue for me with it was that uh, I'm finding Baron Corbin increasingly boring as a performer, and Bobby Lashley has always bored me as a performer. I used to really like Baron and thought that he was uh, very severely underrated, actually. Uh, but at this point, it seems like he just kind of clicks off the same moves in a row. Um and I, still I think and I can't figure out why the fuck he's still dressing as the general manager. Yeah, I mean that's an issue. His look is an issue. He looks stupid. He does look stupid, and it's it's cringeworthy. It's it, like I literally cringe when when and in, in literally cringing because it's just so awkward and unconvincing. Um, and it's, I I don't. Uh, yeah, Drew's being dragged down by these guys for one thing, because uh, Drew actually had. He had some heat. He was really rolling pretty hard, well, and, and then they, I, I don't know. It's he lost to he, they like they started to build him up. Then he lost to Ziggler, and then Ziggler never was around for that to mean anything. Right, and then Ziggler and then off. Ziggler turned yeah. back up at the Royal Rumble to eliminate him, and then fucked off. They patched up their differences, including Ambrose's most recent betrayal, and it was all to it was meant to be. There was meant to be a sense of catharsis about it, a catharsis because. And Cole phrased it as they celebrated at the end, you know, the end of one era and that Ambrose's future is uncertain, the beginning of another one in the sense that Rollins is on his path to WrestleMania. Uh, and, of course, the catharsis of Roman This was about not so much the... the, the, the 
what's the phrase I'm looking for here? The, the kind of the emotional tangent for each member of the group as to where they are in their individual stories, because it's right. obviously a brotherhood, isn't it? You know, and they're all, they're all forever going to be linked by that brotherhood. Um, and you're absolutely bang on. It was just essentially them running through the greatest hits. But the good thing about that is that the greatest hits are, are pretty great. damn great. Yeah. Yeah, pretty exactly. Damn great. So, I mean, you, you whack on, you know, you whack on Rolling Stone's greatest, greatest hits. You're going to hear a bunch of iconic songs, right? So, um, that was what was fun about it, but what was made extra special wasn't just the emotional impact of the fin- of the conclusion in particular, and the way you know the hug that they had in the ring. Um, and I thought, by the way, you know, by the time that Seth was was shouting out to the ring, to the point where they had to bleep it out, it was clear that as performers, they were very much feeling like it was something special to them. But I thought also, just in general terms of their performance as a group. You know, as impeccable as they've always been, I thought the Shield have never looked smoother, slicker, more conducive as a unit, more on the same page than they did tonight. I thought it was, you know, sort of setting aside the kind of the actual content, the execution of what was there, I thought they'd never looked better, Um, which is saying something to say it's the Shield. They were really on another level tonight. And but also I thought Roman Reigns specifically, I said this earlier didn't just look like he hadn't missed a beat. I thought he genuinely looked better than he ever had before because there was a, you know, that the, there was a, a an extra urgency to everything that he did. Um, you know, the the pinfalls he he left to to like the pinfalls he would kick out with like not a fraction of a second before the three count, and the the moves that he did had a little extra something behind them and. I don't know whether it was because it was his first performance in five months. I don't know whether it's because he genuinely didn't know whether he'd be able to perform again, whether he was just relishing the last chance he may have to wrestle as part of the Shield. I don't know what it was, but I thought that his performance specifically stood out to me. And it may just be, it may just be a, a, you know, a, a trick of my own mind, but because I've, you know, not seen him wrestle for five months. Um, But yeah, I thought he seemed to be particularly good tonight. Um, well, I mean, I, I almost took a little bit out of it of it. It almost seemed like they were kind of trying to show Dean, this is what you'll be missing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, because like Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns are best friends, like legitimately. Uh, like that, that, They're best mates. And, and it was almost like Roman was like, man, if you're gone, we don't get to do this anymore. Yeah, and, and he seemed to be relishing it a little bit more. It seemed like he wanted to put a little bit extra into it, not even necessarily for himself, um, you know. But of course, part of it was just I'm sure he was thrilled to be back in the ring and doing what he loves. But yeah, there, absolutely. There were, there were a lot of different factors that went into play here because there is a, just the reality of the fact also that you know there this may be the last time that these three guys are together, you know. It could very well happen. Who knows? Uh, but and I think I think for that reason, but also for the reason that the the, the the previous attempts to reunite the Shield from a couple of years ago and from last year, obviously in each instance got unexpectedly derailed, um, right? In a, in a way that couldn't be predicted, and so they didn't necessarily have the kind of wind in the sails that we might have hoped they have. I think a combination of that, as well as the fact that we kind of believe this to potentially be the last time we'll see them as a group meant that I think, really, we didn't want anything other than the greatest hits. Well, of course and I not. Think, and I think that, 
if they'd have done something other than the greatest hits, it would have maybe not have been a disappointment, but it, it wouldn't have felt as much of a rush. Walking into tonight, I just I was fully just I was looking for the shield's curtain call. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought like both I, in uh, both in the you know the historical sense of that word and in the wrestling historical sense of that word. Do you know what our our you, you referenced him at the top of the show? Our our LOP Australian cohort, Sir Sam, who's I think been on AfterShock in the past, um, wrote a column recently called "The Shield Deserve a Happy Ending." Yeah. Um, he was spot on, and I think that the company, in fairness to the to WWE, were spot on in basically just saying we're going to give you a happy ending. They needed it. I mean, absolutely, they, they, they needed it because I mean, I don't know. This was this match was like that moment in the first Avengers film where you where all the, you first see all the Avengers in a group and you have that tracking shot of them in a circle yes. and it's like this big swell of victory. You know, that's what this was. It was a punch the air feel good moment. Well, I mean, this was, you know, it. Michael Cole, you know, he has he's a bit histrionic from time to time, yeah. uh, but he he said, you know, it was as you mentioned before, it was the end of the of an era and the beginning of another one. But it truly was kind of the end of an era. If Dean Ambrose really is leaving, and this is, really is the last time that we see the see the Shield together, I would say that this has been a the Shield's era, really. Like uh, those three Perfect. guys have really defined. The, the from the moment they walked into the door until now, they have been the defining factors of the company over the of that time, and and so that would truly mark this as the end of an era, and in in more ways than one, I would say. Absolutely, they are to my mind, uh, and I I'm not an apologist in saying this. I think they are the greatest faction we've ever seen in wrestling, honestly in terms of relative to what they've achieved for their time, um, because people underestimate the influence they've had uh, historically. Um, and I think 